the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the, um, what is this, the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Are we here already? Whoa. <laughs> well, the fact that you're hearing applause tells you that James is engineering the program today. And I think we should probably explain what's going on here, James, because there's been a bit of a shuffle, if you will, among the uh, staff here now. A shuffle or kerfuffle, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, whatever really you want to curf- call it. It's not really kerfuffle, I suppose. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, the word is fun. Fun yeah. to say. It's like futon that well, way. Well, as you might recall, Clark Hilton has engineered this program for quite some time. In fact, I'm not sure how long that has been, but it's been more than a year. I'd say couple, probably about two to three years. Yeah. Well, I guess it's been longer than I thought. Anyway, for uh, for a while, he was the engineer of the program. James was the producer. But from here moving forward, James Blend is engineering and producing the program. And there's been a, a shuffle within the staff. Now, he, Clark, is still here. You're still going to hear his voice here on KPDQ, but he's also been assigned to do some other things. Maybe you can help explain that. Yeah, um, as uh, as you've mentioned before, and uh, as, as some listeners may know, in January, uh, I'd like to say we adopted a, a new station um, here, in, here at the, uh, the, the mighty Salem Media of Oregon, and um, we, we uh, added KPAM to our, our repertoire, and they moved into the building, and Brought a bunch of wonderful people with them, and it's actually it's been fun. A little crowded, but a lot of fun. And um, as as is any new arrangement, uh, tweaks occur as uh, staffing needs change. And uh, uh, basically, um, they stole him. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's what it really comes down to. Is they just flat out stole him. Uh, so uh, he is currently, uh, as we speak, about. Uh, in fact, I can literally see his head from here. Um, he is about uh, 20 feet away from us, uh, engineering uh, the what's called the afternoon answer on 8:60 a.m. And um, yeah, he's uh, down there intently looking at a computer screen right now, probably trying to find the latest breaking news story, or he's checking his email. Not sure which. <laughs> One or the other. Well, instead of him sitting in front of me, where he and I are face to face, he's now seated, as you said, about 20 feet behind me, and I'm looking now face to face. With James through a glass that separates the room he's in from the and room. And I'm already I'm thinking in. about redecorating ideas in here, so you know. <laughs> well, it could probably use some help. So, anyway, that's why you're not hearing the name of Clark Hilton as engineer of the program, and it's been replaced by James, who's been an engineer in and out for many, many years, but continues to produce the show as well. And re- I still remember all the right buttons, so that's good. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's uh, that's what's going on. Well, today, of course, is Fun Friday. And while the world is swirling with all kinds of news and information and events that are unfolding and so on, we're going to put that off until 
next week, and we'll certainly visit those uh, important issues, but wanted to take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. Um, Yeah, okay. Um, Also, remind you that Mother's Day is coming up. That's this Sunday. Now, if you've just emerged from a cave, you may have forgotten, or if you have difficulty just remembering, it's this Sunday. So you better do something if your mom is uh, still with us. I noted that Groupon did a survey. You know, you want to do something meaningful. You want to do something nice for mom. But there's also that panic, that last minute panic. You know Mother's Day is coming. You know, you really need to do something because it reflects what's really in your heart. Man, I, I love you, mom. I appreciate you. I've just been busy. I'm not quite sure what to do. Well, Groupon did a survey. It's the t- Mother's Day 2018 study. 40% of moms say they fake reactions to the gifts they're given. Now, part of the reason for that is moms are just so sweet. They're never going to tell you, I'm disappointed. They don't have an expectation that, you know, you should do a big thing for them. But they'd like to think that we would be thoughtful enough to think of them and select something that would reflect what they like. Uh, But anyway, according to this Groupon study, if your mom's reaction to your Mother's Day gift doesn't feel genuine, your hunch might be right. A new study found that 40% of moms fake it. For our sake, they're always trying to spare our feelings. The study, which was commissioned by Groupon last month, asked 2,000 adult Americans. Okay, that's not a very big number, but you can get the idea. A variety of questions about mom's big day, including what mom really wants and her most likely reaction if her gift is not what she was hoping for. I'm not sure moms are hoping for a particular thing. Maybe some moms will say, you know, I'd really like this. And they sort of hope that you uh, would have heard them because they know we struggle with trying to do the right thing. But here are the five most common reactions when mom is faking it according to the study. Ah, I really needed one of these. That's number five. Number four, wow, this is great. Number three, I love it. Number two, aw. And number one, thank you. Now, if your mom says any one of those things, it doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't really Uh, Like, which appreciate is one thing, like is another. We're more talking about what she may or may not like. The average person spends about $75 on the holiday, the study found, but mom might be satisfied with something worth far less than that. Here are the top five things mom really wants, according to this very small study. Number five, a card. Find a card and write something personal in it. Number four, a family trip. In other words, time together. Number three, A homemade item. Now, depending on your skill level, a homemade item may not be on that list. Number two, brunch. Again, time spent together over a meal she did not have to prepare and doesn't have to clean up after. And number one, something with a sentimental meaning. So, you know, the big bucks don't necessarily do what uh, really touches the heart of many moms. Well, the study also asked about sibling rivalry. Two-thirds of respondents said that they check what their brothers and sisters are planning to get And more than half of those uh, with a sibling will try to one-up the uh, other sibling and get a better gift. The middle child might try the hardest, as the study found they spent the most money on presents. Um, Let's see, the study was conducted on behalf of Groupon to help the coupon site promote a Mother's Day offering or offerings, as they so often do. Now, I happen to know what James Blend is doing uh, for Mother's Day. The guy nailed it. He nailed it. He fired on all cylinders in these areas that the Groupon study says is a great idea. So I wanted to give you an opportunity, you, the listener, to do a couple of things. Number one, if you are 
trying to express and want to honor your mom. We want to give you an opportunity to do that publicly. And we'll give you the number here in just a moment. You can call and just say, Mom, I love you. Tell us what you appreciate about your mom. And I think it will encourage new younger moms to know that it doesn't have to be a big, you know, your moms probably weren't perfect, but there was so much that they gave over the course of a lifetime that you appreciate. We want to give you a chance to acknowledge that. The other thing is, moms, we would really appreciate it if you would help us. Uh, what what really touches your heart? Uh, now, I know moms don't have an expectation that, you know, I'm entitled to something on Mother's Day, but we've all agreed that we want to designate uh, this Sunday and the Sundays like it in the future and in the past to just acknowledge we recognize the tremendous sacrifices you've given, the love and the care that we've benefited from. Uh, we want you to know that we're grateful. And so we do that collectively. And so let's all agree that that's a good thing. So, Mom, maybe you can help those of us who are kind of struggling. What on earth should I do? I want to do something that's meaningful and not just, uh, you know, spend a lot of money hoping that, you know, you can nail it. So what this survey said, and maybe you can tell us otherwise, a card, that was number five, a family trip, a homemade item, a brunch, or something with a sentimental meaning. So those are the things of the top five of this survey. If you're a mom... Let us know what would really be meaningful to you. As I mentioned, James, you nailed it. We're not going to talk about it because well, no. Mother's Day is just coming up. Exactly. Uh, but you nailed it on all five of these cylinders. We want to know what to others of you think. So if you want to give us a tribute to your mom or tell us as a mom what's really meaningful to you to help the rest of us know uh, how to give a gift that's going to really say what we want it to say and and touch the hearts of moms who sacrifice and give so much. Okay, the toll-free number is 1-800-845-2162. That's 800-845-2162. Or you can call us at 503-786-9390. 503-786-9390. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I promise we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Hey, by the way, if you're looking for something uh, exciting to take your mom to on Saturday night, you might want to think about the uh, hymn sing that the Portland Singing Christmas Tree is hosting. This is the second weekend. Last weekend was on the west side at Southwest Bible Church. This weekend, it's going to be at um, New Hope Church on Southeast Stevens Road in Happy Valley. The uh, concert begins, and I say concert because it's a concert of praise in which we're all involved. That begins at 6 o'clock p.m. And you have an opportunity for a chicken dinner at the Hymn Sing at 4.30. That costs $10, the concert, and our Hymn Sing together is free of charge. But you do need to get a ticket. You can uh, Google Portland Singing Christmas Tree or Hymn Sing uh, to sign up for that, and you can get all the important details. You can also call 503-557-8733. Not sure how late the uh, switchboard will be open, but that number again is 503-557-8733. If you have any questions... Um, and you can talk to Patty about that. So you are cordially invited and bring your mom uh, with you. We want to give you an opportunity to uh, give tribute to your mom, or if you're a mom and you'd like to help us uh, think through what really means a lot to you as a mom receiving gratitude from your kids. Sometimes that's biological, sometimes it's uh, by other extension, but any uh, in any case, we want to hear from you as well. Again, the telephone number, 503-786-9390. 503-786-9390, or you can call us toll-free at 1-800-845-2162. You can um, email me at instantrice at georgienrice.com. 
you have some suggestions as well. Well, a woman in China was stunned to discover her $190 pet Japanese Spitz was actually a domesticated fox. So if you're going to go spend money on a pet, you're going to need to know precisely what it is you're spending that money on. The woman, identified as Ms. Wang by Chinese media, had purchased what she believed to be a Japanese Spitz puppy from a pet shop in China. For months, she raised the pup but kept noticing odd behaviors like the animal never barked. And at uh, three months old, the furry pet started refusing to eat dog food, she said. She also noticed some physical signs that seemed, well, a little bit off. Instead, she discovered her puppy was a white-haired domesticated fox. So if you're getting mom for Mother's Day a puppy, Make sure you know what you're getting. The fur got thicker when it uh, reached three months old. Its face became pointy and its tail grew longer uh, than a normal dog and much more furry. Other pet dogs seemed to be scared of my pet, (laughs) so I walked it with a leash, she said. Apparently, the dogs knew what she didn't. Eventually, she said she gave in to her suspicions and took her pet to the Sun Lightian, something like that, an expert in animal epidemic prevention. Uh, in uh, at the local zoo for advice. Well, based on the size, it is a domesticated fox, she was told. It carries a smell in uh, its body, and a smell can be stronger as it grows older, she was told. And apparently the dogs picked that up right away. While the white-coated fox is currently only 12 inches long, it's expected to get much bigger. Once Wang learned that her pet dog was actually a pet fox, she opted to give it up to the zoo, where she said it could receive a more suitable diet and better living environment and not frighten small children and other dogs. Uh, The fox will be placed in quarantine for a month before it's put in an enclosure at the zoo. So if it barks like a dog, it probably is one. If it fails to bark, you might want to have that checked out. Although there are dogs that don't bark. Well, a French family managed to escape a coalition of hungry cheetahs unscathed after their tourists Uh, exited their vehicle to snap pictures of the wild animals. And the heart-stopping moment was caught on tape. Now, I've actually seen the tape. Um, It's one thing for adults to exit the vehicle in one of these um, animal parks where literally the animals are just free to roam and you sit in your car and watch them in the safety of a metal enclosure. But to get out of the car as an adult, and one of the adults, by the way, was holding on her hip a small child. Bad idea. At first, the three cheetahs appeared calm, lounging on a patch of grass at Safari Park um, in the Netherlands. As the family parks uh, their car a few feet away, a man exits the car and begins to take pictures of the cats. Moments later, a woman also gets out of her vehicle to put an item in the trunk with a small child uh, getting out behind her. Oh, my goodness. And they're in a safari park. You go to a safari park because there are wild animals roaming about. You don't get out of the car to put something in the trunk or to take pictures. Well, they eventually got back in the car and drive off seconds before one of the cheetahs takes notice. The large cat begins to chase the car as it drives down a dirt path. Now, by the way, I've seen the... um, I've seen the video, and that's a sanitized version of what happened. Seconds later, the video pans to the family, once again leaving their car and climbing a small hill to take pictures of the creatures. But this time, the cats are ready to pounce. A group of tourists in the cars behind them who captured the terrifying encounter on video gasp and yell as they watch the cats surround the family. 
As the cheetahs start to circle, the man runs and the woman is seen picking up the child. Really, you allowed the child to exit the vehicle on their own. She picks up the child, stop, uh, stopping to stare at one of the wild cats before quickly walking away. One of the cheetahs follows closely behind, lunging at the family as they scramble to get back into their car. Fortunately, the family makes it just in time. Well, the park manager uh, confirmed the authenticity of the video to Dutch radio station NOS Radio 1 News. A park spokesman told the station visitors are instructed never to leave their vehicles and warned about the dangers of interacting with wild animals. Now, you would think adults in a vehicle overseeing the care of small children, you wouldn't have to warn them about exiting the vehicle in a park filled with wild animals. But apparently you do. He says, we inform visitors about the risks in several languages throughout the park. Uh, These people have been incredibly lucky, he went on to say. Well, park officials say they heard several reports about the incident, but didn't realize the uh, uh, severity of the situation until a video of the near attack surfaced on YouTube this week. Well, the cheetahs are on a food schedule, so they are not extremely hungry and they're not uh, in the hunt, he said. In the first instance, they have the same reaction as when someone um, rings and une- rings in rather unexpectedly. They think, hey, something strange is happening in our territory. But at the end of the day, he reminded park goers that they still uh, they are still wild animals and people should heed the warnings placed around the park to stay inside the safety of their vehicles. These people have been incredibly lucky. I mean, it's just it's uh, absolutely incredible to watch the video because um, it's a very close call for many of these kids or many of these uh, adults and one child. Meanwhile, a woman at her parents' home in Alaska captured video of a surprise visitor, a bear that climbed up to the home's second floor balcony, climbed a tree, jumped on the balcony. You never think about a bear on your balcony. In fact, you might leave the, uh, the door or the window open thinking that's not a possibility. But the video recorded from inside the safety of a southern Anchorage home shows the bear climbing a tree next to the balcony and using it to reach some moose antlers that were apparently being used to give food um, or water to birds. It's sort of a feeder of some sort. Says the resident, I was upstairs at my parents' home cooking dinner when I noticed my cats looking out the back window leading to the small upstairs balcony, the filmer wrote. Usually there's just squirrels and birds coming by, uh, by captivating the cats, but I checked outside anyway. The woman said she initially didn't realize the tree climber was a bear. I thought it was a person who had climbed the tree until I got a little closer look, she wrote. The bear was only there briefly, and I'd never gotten the chance in my nine years living here to see one up close. So she pulled out her phone uh, because she knew her husband and parents would probably... Um, kick the bear out to knowing that it had been on the balcony and would want to remove anything that would attract the bear. So she had evidence that the bear had actually been there. By the way, a mountain lion has made a pilgrimage to a Colorado church. We'll tell you about it when we return from the break. Also, if you are a mom and you want to tell us what really touches your heart for Mother's Day or you'd like to give tribute to your mom, you can call us at 503-786-9390 in Portland, 503-786-9390 or toll free 800-845-2162. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon as we anticipate celebrating Mother's Day. I know I've already made reservations. We're taking my mom out, and I'm going to treat her with a little something. I won't mention just in case she might be listening, but I'm looking forward 
to yet another opportunity in her 87th year to remind her of how grateful we are uh, for the time and care that she gave us and it's and is still giving us as the elder in our family, the matriarch of our family. Well, a Colorado pastor shared security camera footage of an unexpected early morning visitor to his church. And we all want the numbers to uh, to increase. We want to draw people in who perhaps are not accustomed to attending church. So it's always good when when someone comes to the church building, unless, of course, that individual happens to be a mountain lion. Pastor Don Parton of Timberline Baptist Church in Manitou Springs posted a video to Facebook showing security camera footage from outside the church in the early mornings, morning hours of Thursday. The video shows a cougar seeking religious answers or perhaps just a little food, which, of course, you know, the word is considered food for the soul, strolling up the church's walkway. Well, the pastor said the church's security camera recorded the uh, season's first bear sighting at the facility just last week. So at least they're drawing uh, potential parishioners from the wild kingdom um, in order that... The other kingdom might grow. Well, a safari goer in South Africa captured video of a curious lion attempting to open the door of an occupied car with its teeth. Just a reminder that when you're going through these safari parks, you want to keep the doors locked as well as stay in the vehicle. Lion attempted to open the door with its teeth. Well, Bronwyn Hatting, 36, captured video on a road through Kruger National Park where she was driving with her husband while some friends followed in a second vehicle. She said the uh, convoy had been stopped for about 15 minutes to observe some lions in the road when a young male lion approached her friend's vehicle. The video shows the lion pawing at the yellow um, covers of the car's side, um, side view mirror and attempting to work the door handle with its mouth. Uh, Hadding said that the lion appeared to know what it was doing and likely would have gotten into the car if the doors had not been locked. I'm thinking I'm probably not going to go to a safari anytime soon, lest I forget some necessary precaution. Well, a Boston student with enthusiasm for both jug, well, juggling and jogging has broken a record. He combined his interest to break the Guinness World Record of juggling. Zach Prescott, who competes in track and field and cross country for Boston University, um, juggled three lacrosse balls while running a mile on Tuesday with a time of four minutes, 43.2 seconds. I don't know the word why comes to mind, but the current Guinness record for joggling uh, a mile. It was set in 1986 by Kurt Swenson, who completed the uh, task with a time of four minutes, 43.8 seconds. So he knocked 0.6 seconds off the uh, earlier record. Prescott said his feet at Boston University's Nickerson Field was actually his third attempt of the day after twice dropping the balls. I almost didn't try a third time. It was getting really tired, he said. Um, evidence of his uh, run included video footage. It's been submitted to Guinness for official recognition, and his name will replace his predecessor, Kurt Swenson, who will never be heard from, I'm supposing, ever again. Well, firefighters in the Chicago suburbs responded to a laundromat to rescue a three-year-old boy who climbed inside a claw machine and became trapped. Now, the thing that amazes me about these claw machines is how on earth kids actually get into them. Now, you've probably seen them. There's a big pool of stuff at the bottom of this glass in, uh, enclosure, and it's got stuffed animals and toys and things that kids would like, and then this claw that uh, descends from on high, and it 
uh, is supposed to try to grasp the things down below. Now, this isn't the first time a child has somehow become entrapped in this thing. I don't know if there's a door in the back or the top is open. I don't know. But um, the the Palantine Fire Department said a crew responded uh, Thursday evening to a CD1 price cleaner's uh, there uh, on a report of a toddler stuck inside the toy dispensing claw machine. Now, have you ever worked one of those things with your daughter around? Not with my daughter around, no. How do they get in? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, the the the. I mean, they have a fairly large door, but I don't think large enough for the average child to get into. Well, and you'd have to get up, not just into the door, but up into the yeah, area it, where the toys are. It. It does seem to be an act of acrobatics or... <laughs> Which kids are, are perfectly capable Absolutely. of. Absolutely. But video from the rescue shows firefighters partially dismantling the machine until one of the men can climb inside and lift the three-year-old boy who was not injured to safety. Now, the boy was probably just fine. He's surrounded by all the things he would love to possess, but not too safe an environment. Officials said the boy is believed to have climbed into the machine through the prize distribution drawer. The fire department said the rescue was the first of its kind there. We have not had one of these before, said the captain of the firefighters, but we're used to unusual calls and we adapt and overcome, which of course they did. He said the toddler's adventure was not completely in vain. He walked away with two toys. I'm not sure if they were given to the child or he was just lucky in his uh, efforts. Yeah, that's about right. Well, when future generations look back on Oregon's contribution to the world in the late 2010s, they will, without a doubt, remember the goats. It was Oregon where the practice of goat yoga was discovered, where the Belmont goats rose to prominence, where you can get flowers delivered and eaten by goats. Okay, that business was based out of Washington, but they do deliver in Oregon. Well, now in Oregon, you can golf with a goat for a caddy. No, no, we're not talking about someone who has bad manners. We're talking about an actual goat who's caddying. You can experience this innovation in golf technology at uh, Sylvie's Valley Ranch in Seneca, the working goat and cattle farm with three goat courses and a spa. Ty Campbell, owner of the ranch, he came up with the goat caddy concept. The ranch raises thousands of goats every year and enlists Akbar Christie, co-founder and president of Beaverton's Seamus Golf, to help make his goat golf dreams become a reality. I don't know who has goat golf dreams, but apparently this guy does. I thought it was hilarious, said Christie over the phone in the interview. The project presented an interesting challenge. How were they going to get a golf bag on a goat? Well, golf bags aren't made to go on goats, so they'd have to be somewhat innovative. But Christy, who created Seamus Golf with his wife, Megan, was up to the challenge. So the process of getting a bag that would stay on Bruce, the goat, the first goat selected for caddy duties was, well, it came in small steps. The first time we kind of failed because the clubs would fall out, Christy said. We took those experiences and improved the, uh, the golf bag. The final bags don't just hold clubs. They also hold a six-pack of whatever you like to drink. I'm thinking root beer or 7-Up. And as a treat to the goats, Christy said, each bag also has a pouch of peanuts. Kind of the reward. According to uh, Sunshine Smar, who works in the uh, in reservations department at Silvis, there are currently four trained goat caddies. Now, you, we know, uh, you know, James, we have our Pastors Masters yeah. golf tournament coming up. I'm yes, thinking we do. Goats. 
Pastors are familiar with separating the sheep from the goats, or at least the scripture that makes reference to it. It could be kind of a biblical addition to the uh, fun day. We, we, well, we could uh, actually, what would be really cool is we could kind of go with like a, a Noah type theme and send a pair of various animals with each Llama, team. Yeah, goats, large dogs, ferrets. I mean, I, you know, inevitably there'll be some pastors that complain, why, why did I get the snakes? <laughs> But, you know. It's hard to uh, guide a snake on a leash, but we could work that out, I think. Well, a two-year-old English Mastiff, which is a pretty big dog named Gidget, was rescued on Monday after escaping its home in Colorado and finding itself stuck in a Colorado wastewater treatment plant. Ooh. Yeah. Gidget and her partner in crime, a a walker coonhound named Buddy, escaped from a house in Pueblo West on Sunday. Buddy returned home midday on Monday, but without his friend. We have a hound dog that likes to play escape artist with a front door, says its owner. Um, When he gets out, Gidget, of course, follows. Well, an employee found Gidget at an um, aeration pond at the wastewater treatment plant about six miles from the home. The pond makes it impossible for anything to float, so the dog had to work. Fire crews used a ladder to get to Gidget. The dog was um, hosed off and turned over to the Pueblo Animal Services, where the dog got two decontamination baths at the shelter before being brought back to his owner, or rather her owner. Gidget is uh, just ecstatic to be home. Ecstatic. Did I say that right? Um, Out of all the dogs, she's the baby of the house, the owner says. Well, Smith said she's doing um, her best to try to get rid of the stench the dog brought home. They've gotten so many baths and, well, they still smell. The poor bulldog is um, keeping her distance, another dog in the household, but they're still loving Gidget and Will until, well, the stench is gone. Wow. Toronto police, yeah, that would not be pleasant. Toronto police said a car found dangling from a city bridge with no engine or windows was likely placed as part of a prank. The blue Honda Civic was discovered dangling from a wire under the Millwood Overpass Bridge on Wednesday morning, and police initially suspected it was part of a movie shoot. Police said later Wednesday they determined the car, which was burned out on the inside and had no windows, windshield, or engine, was not part of any authorized filming in the city. At this time, it is believed the incident was intended as a prank. Wow, such great lengths one would go to to pull a prank. This incident resulted in the use of significant resources that were not available to attend to genuine emergency calls for service. They said not laughing at all. The car was safely brought to the ground by firefighters about 10 a.m. on Wednesday. Police said the investigation into the discovery is ongoing and pranksters responsible could face charges for tying up emergency services. The thing itself wasn't that big a deal, but having to remove it for the safety of the community... Pretty big deal. Wow. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll tell you about a truck that crashed spilling 8 million dimes. Okay, do the math. How much money is that? 8 million dimes. Also, an armored truck that dumped cash on an Indiana interstate. And if you were a mom or someone who loves your mom, we'd love to hear from you. Again, our number in Portland, 503-786-9390, 503-786-9390, or 800-845-2162. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 49 minutes after 4 o'clock is the time you are listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blinn, by the way, is both engineering and producing today's program, as we explained a bit earlier in the... Oh, he stood and he's taking several bows. Thank you very much.
Well, a semi-truck um, struck a guardway rail, a guard rail on a Nevada highway and spilled its load of eight million dimes next to the roadway. Wow, eight million. A police in Nevada said a truck hit a guardrail on a stretch of the highway, overturned, spilling the load uh, on the road. The Nevada Highway Patrol uh, says the truck rolled onto its uh, side next to the uh, roadway and spilled the load. Did you do the math? By the way, that's $800,000 worth of dimes. $800,000 in dimes. Well, troopers created a secure crime scene so a recovery team could retrieve the dimes for the U.S. Treasury Department which had contracted the truck to transport the money. The truck driver and a passenger were taken to a hospital with minor injuries. Can you imagine on the side of a road, which would probably include um, some off-road areas, trying to retrieve $800,000 worth of dimes or $8 million of them? Had you worked out the math, James? Sure, sure I had. Yeah, uh-huh. I had had all the time okay. in the world to do that. Okay. Well, police in Indiana... Um, They're warning anyone who picked up a $20 bill that fell from the back of an armored truck on the freeway not to keep the cash. The Indiana State Police said that Brink's truck's door open while traveling uh, near Holt Road, uh, causing hundreds of $20 bills to fly out onto the roadway. Thinking maybe this isn't the best way to transport money. One witness captured the video of bystanders picking up the cash while police officers attempted to stop anyone from leaving with the money. ISP spokesperson, um, Sergeant John Perrine, he warned that anyone found to have picked up and kept the cash that fell from the truck could face charges if they don't turn the money over to investigators. I would imagine some people are a little frightened at the prospect of now coming forward, but that's the right thing to do. Anyone who picked up the money can be charged with theft. If you have money from the incident to return, contact the Indiana State Police, they say. Well, police said there will be uh, increased patrols in the area where the money fell from the, uh, the truck. And people um, know right from wrong. Anyone uh, we track down who kept a dollar of that money will be arrested for theft. So they're taking this very seriously. $20 bills, one $20 bill at a time. Meanwhile, a Polish highway, I mean, if you're going to have a truck overturn, you want to be in Poland. A Polish highway was shut down on Wednesday when a tanker truck full of liquid chocolate crashed and spilled its contents across the road. Oh, that is sad. And you know what? Chocolate covering the roadway. I can see myself on my hands and knees in the chocolate, lapping it up. I, I got to admit, you know, I, if you I, don't go uh, too deep, you just uh, the surface. I, I I think I'd prefer a spoon. Well, maybe, maybe some so. whipped cream. But yeah, I'm not I, sure I, I have the patience to gather all of that up. But but no, I I yeah yeah that you there it's with just me? A waste. It's a, yeah it's, yeah it's a sad sad I'm, loss. I'm, Kind of choked up about it. <laughs> Cleanup efforts on the Oof. highway were being hampered because the chocolate was quickly cooling and solidifying on the six-lane surface. Hence the hurry, hands and knees, lapping it up. Crews at the scene said that they had um, uh, needed to ship uh, in uh, hot water to melt the chocolate and wash it away. Again, such a waste. A senior brigadier, that's what they're called in Poland, uh, with a fire brigade of um, Slupka, a town in western Poland, said cooling chocolate is worse than snow. I find that hard to believe, but I get what he's saying. The local television reported from the site of the accident that the driver was taken to a hospital with a broken arm. The accident occurred in the morning when there was little traffic and nobody else was hurt. So these spills, they can range um, from a variety of of uh, incidents. Now, Uber Technologies, Inc., the company behind the popular car service app, is once again partnering with NASA 
And this time, they're supplying information to the agency so that it can uh, simulate the flight of a small passenger-carrying aircraft within the airspace of uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. That's according to two recent statements by NASA. We're talking about flying cars, NASA and Uber. They may not be unique to science fiction for much longer. Well, the Urban Air Mobility, or UAM, project hopes to develop a safe and efficient air transportation system where everything from small package delivery drones to passenger-carrying air taxis operate over populated areas, from small towns to the largest cities, according to a statement by the agency on May the 7th. Now, uh, the associate administrator for NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate highlighted the uh, merits of the UAM in a May 8th statement, comparing it to the smartphone revolution. Of course, a smartphone doesn't fall from the sky, injuring whoever is beneath it. But NASA's officials say their research will help identify any safety issues that air transportation projects of the future might have. This comes after the space agency signed an agreement with Uber to create an air traffic control system for a future flying car service called the Uber Elevate, also known as Uber Air. NASA has signed its second Space Act agreement with Uber, and according to agency officials, this is the first to focus specifically on simulating and modeling UAM operations. Under the agreement, Uber will share its plans for an urban aviation rideshare network with NASA, and with that information in mind, the space agency will develop models of how aircraft might move or take off. Now, I agree, I mean, I admit, rather, that I'm from a generation in which this still sounds very science fiction-esque and doesn't sound very appealing, but I have no doubt that there will be flying cars in the future, and your daughter, Verity, will probably end up on one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? I, you know, I... That, cars I'm, overhead. I'm, I'm, spilling I'm chocolate not, I'm not coins. anxious about that. I, I just want to know <laughs> if Uber is partnered with... Uh, you know, Spacely Sprockets and Cogswell's Cogs. Well, there I mean, you, go. you know, that seems to be the, the people they should be partnering with. Then again, we still live in 2018, and an Australian woman shared a video of a highly unusual vehicle she spotted on the streets of her suburb home, suburb, suburb, <laughs> suburban home, a homemade motorized shopping cart. That's more my speed. Lisa Burgess, she captured video this week when she spotted a man riding inside a shopping cart that had been modified with a motor and a steering mechanism uh, in the suburb she lives in. The video shows the man testing out the shopping cart speed and attempting tricks, including wheelies. Spectators can be heard laughing in amusement at the man's antics in his bizarre vehicle, which cost him far less than your very heavy, expensive car would. And if he can get around in it, hmm, who knows, that may be the wave of the future. Well, a pair of Florida airports took their romance public with a promposal that played out on their Twitter accounts. The courtship began with a tweet from Miami International Airport asking Orlando International Airport to be its date to what is almost certainly a fictional dance. One would hope they're two airports after all. We're just winging it, but at MCO, will you go to the prom with us? The airport tweeted along with a photo of a sign outside the hub edited to show an airplane flying in the shape of a heart and the words, MCO prom question mark. Orlando International Airport's initial response was coy and noncommittal. We have many suitors, but our hearts are a flutter. MIA. Stay tuned for our response.
Well, several other airports chimed in, expressing disappointment at being passed over by Miami International Airport, which in turn promised to take Tampa International Airport to homecoming. Well, Orlando International Airport finally responded affirmatively. That was a hashtag airport promposal with altitude MIA. We're letting the world know it's a yes from us. This is going to be epic, all in caps, it tweeted. Well, the tweet was accompanied by a photo of a boarding gate that states the flight, hashtag so many suitors, is departing Orlando for Miami with a flight status prom date official. I would like to see um, records of what happened during this period, and hopefully there were no planes that went down while they're going back and forth with this stuff. But apparently it turned out just fine. Well, for more than 75 years uh, after its 1930 discovery, Pluto was regarded as our solar system's ninth planet. Well, there's been a long simmering argument about Pluto's planethood, and it's just flared up again. Pluto is a distant and frigid oddball to be sure, but a member of Earth's immediate family nonetheless. Then in 2006, I remember it well, the International Astronomical Union, IAU, reclassified Pluto as a dwarf planet, a newly created category that the organization explicitly stressed made Pluto distinct from the eight true planets. In other words, it wasn't really a planet, it was something other. Well, a true planet, according to the IAU's newly devised definition, must meet three criterion. It must circle the sun and no other object, so moons are out. It must be big enough to be rounded into a sphere or spheroid by its own gravity, but not so large that its innards host reactions that power stars. And it must have cleared its neighborhood of other orbiting bodies. Well, Pluto failed this last hurdle because its neighborhood, the ring of icy bodies beyond Neptune, known as the Kuiper Belt, is far from cleared. Well, many scientists and Plutophilic um, members of the public objected strongly to the IAU's decision. I remember we did a show on it at the time on various grounds. For starters, some folks pointed out the new planet definition rules out anything not orbiting the sun, meaning that the hundreds of billions of exoplanets in our Milky Way galaxy aren't planets at all, at least according to the IAU. And the clear your neighborhood requirement seemed ridiculous to many researchers, including Alan Stern, the principal investigator of NASA's New Horizon mission, which famously flew by Pluto in July of 2015. Stern had been a vocal proponent of Pluto's planethood and had argued that the IAU use decisions stemmed at least partly from a very non-scientific desire to keep the solar system's planetary stable down to a manageable number, which brings us to the most recent flare-up. Stern and planetary scientist David Grinspoon have just published a book about Pluto flyby called Chasing New Horizons Inside the Epic First Mission to Pluto. On Monday, May the 7th, the Washington Post published a Perspectives piece the two scientists wrote titled, Yes, Pluto is a Planet. So, the debate has flared up again. Pluto, which is not a planet exactly right now, it's not a true planet, may be back on the roster. We'll keep keep following the story and let you know what happens next. We're going to take a break here in a moment for uh, news and traffic at the top of the hour. Also in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Bob McClure. He's the co-owner and CEO of McClure's Pickles. Well, did you know that May is National Burger Month? We're going to talk about the role that pickles have played in the burger. It's rather significant, by the way. He is a professional 
Picklist. Hmm. Bob McClure coming up next hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show second hour. Glad to have you with us. By the way, portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. Now, when Clark was engineering the show and we explained where he is and why James is both engineering and producing earlier in the day. Uh, But uh, while Clark was engineering the program, he and I had a conversation about uh, Publishers Clearinghouse. And in fact, I informed him because I had it on good authority that I had already won. It was just a matter of formality to fill out the forms, uh, which I had done. And the day that they were making the announcement and the presentation had come and gone and I had received nothing. I'm pretty sure they just went to the wrong address. But anyway, I have since then received two additional Publisher Clearinghouse envelopes filled with uh, little stickers and papers. And it's like a a short novel uh, to read through all the things that are sent. And, of course, they want you to buy something. It used to be magazines. It was pretty much all about magazines. Now it's everything you can imagine under the sun, whether that's pots and pans or something to wipe on your car to get rid of the scratches or something to put on a scratch that you Uh, find on yourself and to bring some uh, soothing. And I have to tell you, I opened that envelope and I started to go through the papers. I went through every single paper, got all the way to the end and decided I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. I'm not filling out the publisher clearinghouse stuff any longer. I feel like, you know, my birthday's just a little less than a month from now. I feel like I reached a level of maturity where I am no longer taken in by the Publisher Clearinghouse envelopes. And by the way, I received two of them. They were both equally thick. They both had offerings of stuff that they want you to buy. Uh, They both uh, required you to stick this in slot A and that stamp there and this in the opening. And you you, um, pretty much have already won. We just need to hear from you and get this thing. And I've... uh, I've quit. I'm not doing any more. Now, do you get these Publisher Clearinghouse envelopes, James? And have you ever... Uh, fill them out, send anything back in. Uh, we do get them. I have not. Ever. I, can't, I, I cannot say that, uh, that I can say that for every member of my household. But uh, So you think your daughter might have filled it oh, out? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I mean, I, I remember as a kid, anyway, I used to love those stickers, but I wouldn't put them back on, you know, and mail them out. I, I was putting them on notebooks and stuff because I thought it would be really, really cool to have a little tiny, tiny, tiny Sports Illustrated cover on my notebook. Yeah. Because I, I, was, I, I, was, I, was, I was really... That sad of a child. Well, they were much more interesting back then. They were colorful and they had the sticky stuff on the back. So I, I get it. It was much more interesting. But I've uh, I've given it up. I'm not doing it anymore, well, I think. I was going to say, is it okay if I'm a bit skeptical of this pro- well, proclamation? I think you probably should be. In fact, I went through both of those envelopes page by page. I unfolded every single one looking for the sticker that goes on the main entry form. Uh, you don't order anything, but there has to be, there's always something that you have to transfer and that has to be, I couldn't find it. And I think my frustration led to the realization that this was an utter and complete waste of time, that there are some people around a a conference table in Madison Avenue and they're laughing at me and other people like me uh, who have put these things together and dropped them in the mail with a a stamp that I myself had to purchase. I'm done. So you can hold me up. I shall hold you accountable. Hold me accountable to that. Also, I made a decision that you might recall at the start of the year, I purchased a treadmill. Oh, and yes, the goal that. was 
to get on the treadmill at some point during the day. In fact, I could still be listening to the television while I was on the treadmill. I have shoes that sit there at the base of it. Yes, you do. Um, you might also recall that Clark busted it. He, a couple of pieces were ruined. Uh, I, I indicated uh, to the people I purchased it from that I needed these parts. They said, oh, yes, yes, we'll send them. They never arrived. So that was a little frustrating to me. I've decided that I'm going to get rid of the, uh, the treadmill. It's going to be out of my office. And I think I have someone here who's interested. Wow. I had told you at the time, both you and Clark were, uh, were with me on that day, that um, you know, months from then, uh, you would be celebrating my tremendous accomplishment and now I've abandoned the project altogether in favor well, of something in, else. In fairness, you did achieve the what I expected, <laughs> and that was an impressive collection of dust upon said uh, said treadmill. So, I mean, in that scope of it, uh, I'm not sitting here disappointed. Well, I did use it, though. Let's just clarify. I, I have used okay. the treadmill. Let me, we don't let, need to go into when I used it or how often January 3rd and 4th. <laughs> Or how often I use it, but it, not it, since then it was in use at one time. We do know at least as of five months ago it worked. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> well, it's just uh, I feel like today I've I've matured in some very significant ways. I've made important decisions that will shape my future, and uh, I just wanted to make that announcement. I I think you will success be much more successful in not using the treadmill than you were using it. So I. <laughs> I support this. Yes, but once the treadmill is gone, I'll have the excuse of saying, I don't have one, therefore I can't use it. So it's, it's actually looking pretty good for me. Well, the, the only question is there, have you, have you thought about the, the void in that corner of your office yet? Has, has your decorated mind, decorator mind jumped to what, what goes there next? You know, the interesting thing is it's, um, it's out of kilter now with it there. It's unattractive. I've got these beautiful maps of places that I've traveled and then the Ten Commandments in a beautifully framed thing I got in Israel. And then there's the treadmill. It doesn't go. So nothing will replace it because it didn't belong there. So aesthetically, it was an eyesore. It, it was, it was a st- aesthetically displeasing. I will give you that. Yeah. But it, uh, it is now no more. Hey, by the way, I want to remind you that, uh, you know, last weekend on the West Side, there was a hymn sing, and it was such a delight to meet and hear many of you singing as we all raised our voices in song to pay a part in that. But I wanted to remind you that this Saturday night on the East Side, there's another opportunity for a hymn sing. Now, as you know, these are free events, the Portland Singing Christmas Tree Choir. They host the events, the choir, about a half of the members, about 150 plus voices, Um, will lead us in our singing. But this really is about all of us singing together. And what a joy it was last weekend. If you missed it and would still like to come, let me encourage you to uh, call um, the office. I think there might still be someone there. Or you can go online, just uh, Google Singing Christmas Tree Hymn Sing, and uh, you can still get a ticket because they need to to manage the numbers and make sure there's enough seating uh, for everyone, but call 503-557-8733 uh, with any questions or to uh, get your tickets. Now, this um, this Saturday night, it's going to be at New Hope uh, Auditorium on Southeast Stephen Road in Happy Valley. And as uh, it was the case before, it starts at 6 o'clock p.m. But for those of you who uh, notify the tree early enough, uh, there's a chicken dinner available as well. I think they have two ways that the chicken is prepared, neither of which is fried. So it's good, healthy chicken um, uh, at 4.30, so you can take place, uh, take part, rather, in that uh, that opportunity as well. Now, the chicken dinner is $10 per person. 
uh, and can be purchased when you reserve your general admission or preferred seating tickets for the hymn sing this Saturday at New Hope Church in Happy Valley. Again, the chicken dinner at 4.30 and the doors open for our um, worship time at 6 o'clock. So it's going to be another great evening. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Um, Coming up, we're going to talk with Bill, or rather Bob McClure. He is a um, professional pickler. Oh, yes, there are professional picklers among us. We're going to talk with him. He's the co-owner and CEO of McClure's Pickles. We're talking with him because this, the month of May, is National Burger Month. You may not have uh, have known that, but we're going to talk about the burger, of course, but the role that the lowly pickle plays. It's placed in and around the burger, but you don't give it much thought. I mean, the burger is the thing. When you go to a restaurant, you order the burger. You don't say, I'd like a pickle with maybe some beef underneath it. You order the uh, you order the hamburger. So we're going to shine a spotlight on the pickle that adds so much to our lives and receives so little recognition in return. I'm already feeling emotional about this. This, this, this is going to be yeah, touching. There's some uh, Kleenex there on the console. Oh, good. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show, but more importantly, you are listening to the Georgine Rice Show during National Burger Month. Now, my guess is you had no idea that this May 2018 is National Burger Month. Now, the burger can stand alone, a bun, a piece of meat, and a, you know, the underside of the bun. But without the condiments, without the things that make the burger what it is, the thing that we enjoy the most, well, it would just be well, a dry burger. Well, joining us now is a professional pickler. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are professional picklers, and Bob McClure is one of them. He is the co-owner and CEO of McClure's Pickles, and he joins us today to talk about National Burger Month and what the burger would be without the pickle. Mr. McClure, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, you are a professional pickler. What does one have to do to become a, not just a pickler, but a professional pickler? Uh, let's see. Well, you don't have to have any business background. Uh, you don't have to have any uh, expertise in this. You actually have to probably go through two or three different careers, and then you can become a professional entrepreneur and pickler. Uh, there you go. That's pretty much how, how I got my start. Now, you know, I was, as I was driving into work earlier today, I started thinking about the pickle and how we arrived at the pickle. I know preserving food was uh, has a long and storied uh, history and tradition, but do you know anything about the history of pickling, and in particular, the pickle? Yeah, so, you know, like you mentioned, um, preserving foods is not unique to any particular culture. It can be found throughout the globe and has gone on for for centuries. Um, As far as uh, fermented foods and pickled foods in a jar, like canned foods, canned foods is relatively like new that maybe is only a couple hundred years old when people started to be able to uh, use cooking stoves uh, to pasteurize and cook their foods and then you know kill any bacteria that might have been in it so that they could have it at a later date and get through you know a hard winter now we just go into our heated basements and um, you know watch Netflix and open up the refrigerator but you know a hundred years ago 
life was a little bit more difficult than it is today. Um, so we had to find a way to, to really preserve what was being grown um, and then find a way to keep that, you know, so when we opened it, it was, it was fresh tasting and, and healthy for us and nourishing. So canning came about, you know, a couple hundred years ago um, when we had, you know, developed stove tops and the ability to cook things. Fermented food, though, like just like sauerkraut and stuff like that mm-hmm. and crock pots, that's been around for, uh, you know, thousands of years. Um, and the history of the actual pickle, uh, a cucumber, um, it was it originated in India and made its way over to like Egypt and um, the Middle East areas where it was, you know, the climate was uh, really good for growing that type of, of product. Um, and the, uh, the, the apparently there's a story about Cleopatra really loved cucumbers and um, some of her um, her her folks at the time, servants, whatever they were, that would go out, they would grab the water from the Nile and they brought back some cucumbers. Cucumbers were then fell into a vat or something like that, a crock, a crock, a clay, clay pot. And pickles can ferment naturally just by sitting out in the air. So in the water, um, and that's one of the unique properties of them. So it started to ferment and uh, created a, a fermented pickle. Um, and it didn't. If it didn't kill you back then, it was probably safe to eat. <laughs> yeah. So Cleopatra probably had servants, and she'd say, you know, this is rotting. Eat that. And then if if they lived, she might have tried it as well. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> and much like you know, there was like cheese back. You know, has been around for hundreds mm-hmm. and thousands or thousands of years. That was like they were prized possessions and foods that would be transported across you know, long treks to be traded for highly valuable items. Um, and so you can see that Cleopatra, if she, she was, you know, eating and, and using these, she valued them highly. Now they're, now you can find them in, in a grocery store, but um, they do have a long history. Now, as we mentioned earlier, this is National Burger Month and McClure's Pickles uh, have been um, helping the burger to elevate the burger and its taste for a, a number of years. What's the best pickle for a hamburger? Well, I'll start by saying it's a McClure's pickle, of course. <laughs> um, you know, so shoppers can find our products all across the uh, the U.S. And, and we're a jarred product, so you'd find it on a grocery store shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say not only just our product, but a product that's that's natural um, and fresh with its ingredients is probably going to be your best bet for going onto a burger. Um, ours is, you know, we have less than six ingredients that really go into our product. And my six-year-old can, can read all of them. Um, so it really goes to being a fresh product, um, something that is uh, very good and tasting. Um, ours are very sour. So I think when you have something that has a sour taste that pairs up with, you know, a burger that has a higher fat content, um, you're going to get a really nice flavor story. Because the fattiness in the burger and the cheese, um, and then you have the acidity and sourness of the pickle, it gives you a really nice, uh, really nice uh, taste. Okay, you're making me hungry here. <laughs> oh, let me ask you, is it best to slice the pickle the long way or in little discs on the burger? What's your recommendation? So that's, a great, that's a great question. You know, I would say, um, so, and, and that's why we have so many different types of pro, like pickles that we make. We make some sliced, we make some in spear form. Um, and so that you can, you can then change how you want to put them on, on a burger. Um, 
So there's a couple ideas that I think go really well with a burger. If you're going to put it in the burger, you know, like under the bun, mm-hmm. go with the coin cut, the circular type type uh, product. Um, if you want to get creative with your guests, or you're making like mini sliders or something like that. We have these tiny little baby dill uh, hole pickles that you can spear through, um, you know, spear the top of the bun and you put the little pickle um, right on top of the bun and you have your little, you know, spear that yeah. goes right through it and it makes a really nice kind of showcase. Yeah. Now, one of the things we were talking about here in the office was where the pickle belongs. Now, you have the meat, you have the bun, you have your condiments, maybe a little lettuce. Does it belong right next to the meat or should it be with the condiments sort of stuck to the roof of the bun where your um, lettuce and or rather your... Uh, ketchup and mayonnaise and mustard are. What's your recommendation there? How to how to build would, a burger? That's a great. That's another great question. I think certainly personal preference. Obviously, will will win out at the end of the day. But my my personal preference is to do under the bun. You've got your condiments, um, possibly onion, um, and uh, and, a, and a piece of lettuce. Um, on top of the cheese is where you're going to want to put your pickle because again that 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 fatty fatty content in the cheese and right before you get into the burger you're going to get this nice like burst of sourness from the pickle and that's that's where you're gonna you're gonna want that uh flavor to come in man you're really making me want a mcclure's pickle right about now (laughs) (laughs) well hey i'm doing my job then (laughs) now you mentioned that you can find mcclure's pickles on your uh, grocery store shelf all across the fruited plain um, and that you can also find more about McClure's Pickles at McClure's.com or on social media at McClure's Pickles. Uh, any other advice for National Burger Month for those of us who plan on enjoying as many burgers as we can? Well, get out there. Enjoy the weather. Um, if you're a home pickler, uh, you know, enjoy having fun with that and putting them in different food combinations. Uh, and if you're, if you're not a home pickler and you want to experience a really great quality product, give us a shot. You won't be disappointed. Uh, and we're here to help, help make your meal even better. All right. Hey, Bob McClure, uh, co-owner and CEO of McClure's Pickles, a professional pickler. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you again for having me. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Again, this is National Burger Month, and we want to encourage you to uh, take full advantage of this opportunity to celebrate and try a McClure's Pickle along the way as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on this uh, fun Friday afternoon. Uh, James Blend is engineering. Now, James, I have to ask you, my conversation with Bob McClure and the uh, the role of the pickle in National Hamburger Day week, rather month, National Hamburger Month, because for those of us who like hamburgers, every day is National Hamburger Day. Um, but what do you think about the the pickle on the burger? You and I had a conversation earlier. Not so sure that's a, a highlight for either of us. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a pickle on a hamburger guy. Now, don't get me wrong. I do like a good pickle. Um, now to find a good pickle. Uh, well, I can tell you the best pickle for me. I I am a uh, garlic kosher dill kind of guy. That is my that is my specific type of of a pickle. Is my pickle of preference. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I, you know, I, I like a good, fresh, crunchy. Yeah. Um, again, there's no such thing in this world as too much garlic in anything. So absolutely, I like a good garlic in a pickle, and it needs oh, to be yes. crunchy. It's just mm. yes. I, I don't like a pickle that when you 
You, you pick it up off your plate. It uh, attempts half of it attempts to return down towards it. Yeah, it's it. kind of limp and wilty. Yeah, it, it just kind of goes. I want back on the plate. No, that's not the pickle I'm looking for. Uh, and the thing I don't really like about pickles on a hamburger, honestly, I feel like a pickle should be at most room temperature. At best, got a little chill to it. Just a little bit of you know a, a cooler you know temperature to it. And I don't like a hot pickle. I don't like that you know the hot temperature being warm. I think it makes it. I think it makes it too soft, too quick, and I, I just don't like what it does to the texture of the pickle itself. You know, I've never given that any thought, but that may be part of the reason I don't care for pickles on my burger either. Aside from the fact that it's sloshing around in condiments, right? And that you know, it's, it kind of mixes everything up. And generally, if you're purchasing a burger, they don't take the time to place each of the. Uh, little pieces of pickle separately around the surface of the burger. They tend to mound up, and they've got all the condiments around them, and it's just not not good. Yeah, and it, it is kind of limp almost and wilty. like a a mustard ketchup pickle soup on top of your on top of your burger. And actually, it's more even. I, I'd go so far as to say there's usually a good layer of condiment in between the pickle and the burger itself. So sometimes I've I've seen them where the pickle's not even touching the hamburger. Um, so it's basically a condiment for your bun. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, it, it it is. I feel like we've really kind of plumbed the depths of the pickle on the burger and why it's not preferable for some of us, at least, to have the pickle on the burger. I think the temperature is a major part of that because when you're eating a whole pickle, you do like that fresh crunch like it was just preserved and you're getting it moments later and it's got that strong flavor. You don't get that when it's on the burger. Now what are you what are your views on relish? Pickle relish? Never been a big fan. My, my growing up my dad used to put it on, you know, a lot of things. He'd have the relish on his hamburger and he'd sometimes have various relishes he'd put on hot dogs as well. And so it was always around, but I I've always been more of a traditional topping person and uh, traditional condiments and I also have the the division that I know annoys some people that uh, ketchup is for hamburgers and mustard is for hot dogs and neither the two shall meet. I would agree with that. Uh, there are many who don't, uh, but I am I am an old school traditionalist when it comes to these things. So I very rarely will put what I would refer to as an alternate topping um, on a hamburger, and that includes pickle relish. <laughs> You're a traditional guy. Now, I am. Is that, is that your New York background? Is that where that comes from? Uh, probably. I know that uh, New York is one of the few uh, regions, at least the you know the metro area around the tri-state area where the city is and whatnot. Um, if you go and order a fast food burger, um, they just give you ketchup. They don't put mustard or any other topping on there, um, unless you request it. So I it, that was the default burger growing up, and so I yeah that was a good part of it when. When I would go somewhere that would have mustard on the burger, whoa, uh, where'd that come from? Uh, no, I don't like that. Yeah, it's a whole nother, another ball game. Do you have a favorite burger place in town? A favorite burger place? Who does it better? Oh, my goodness. That's a... That's a uh... you, can, you can name multiple sites if you have several that you think do a great burger. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our, um, I, I definitely enjoy a good killer burger now and then. Um, the Five Guys also makes a very good burger. Um, you know, if, if if you're going for the, the, the upper echelon, if you will, I'll, I'll never turn down a Red Robin burger. Uh, but um, I, at this point, I do tend to stay away from most fast food burgers. Uh, keep in mind that, you know, a couple of years ago, I did become gluten intolerant. And so a, a lot of places, especially fast food, don't really cater to that. Yeah. 
your idea, oh, gluten-free, then you don't want a bun. Oh, I do want a bun. I swear. Um, <laughs> don't there's swear. Only, there's, uh, there's only uh, one fast food restaurant that I'm aware of that uh, allows you to get an all, a gluten-free alternative, and that's Burgerville. Oh, I didn't know that. And so uh, that is the one fast food restaurant I will occasionally have hamburgers at, and um, they're usually pretty good. I have to admit that if given a choice between a gourmet hamburger that's carefully put together with really good meat and, and all of that at some of the named places, I would go for a fast food burger. I just like the thin piece of meat. I like the kind of crummy, lightweight bread. I, I just like a fast food burger. I'm not going to mention which is my favorite among the fast food burgers because I like different ones for different things. For example, Burger King, uh, they add tomato and lettuce, whereas McDonald's doesn't have anything. They have a little um, collection of little tiny, tiny onion bits, and they'll have a couple of pickles. They're stacked on top of each other. They'll have mustard and, and mayonnaise. I believe they have uh, ketchup as well. Right. Um, so I have different burgers for different moods, but I I like a fast food burger. I'm just a pedestrian when it comes to hamburgers. I think it was, as I got older, and you know, your your body changes a little bit, and you know, mine expanded. Uh, but um, I I just actually found that a lot of the fast food burgers left me feeling not well, and so and not not in a you know getting ill type thing, but more in the I feel like I ate a brick, and it's just. Yeah, I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to move. It's like, yeah, I'm I down for the, I, I ate my burgers and I'm down for the night. And I just didn't like how that actually made me feel. And I just finally kind of broke free of that. But uh, they are tasty. So far, I haven't had that problem. And you add a French fry to that. I would take a fast food French fry almost every time over a uh, restaurant French fry. I wholly agree. The The exception for me, I mean... It, now, to some extent, some people would say that Five Guys is a fast food burger. Um, I, I, I think it's a little bit above a fast yeah, food, but their fries are magnificent. A slow pace. Um, of a they've, fast get, food. they've got the fresh, never frozen fries that uh, from you know semi local. I think they're all usually from Montana or Idaho that they bring in, or Central Washington they bring in their potatoes from. So um, they're all reasonably local potatoes that have just come in that day, kind of thing, and. Uh, I mean, those are nice, but uh, as far as the upper echelon ones, um, Red Robin, they will make garlic fries, a little extra, and by golly, as I mentioned before, you can never have too much garlic. That's true, and I did taste someone else's garlic fries uh, recently, and it was garlicky, which I I do (laughs) appreciate. So that's that's kind of my exception to the rule where I agree in general the uh, the fry from the fast food restaurant is superior, but I'll take that garlic fry any yeah. day. If and when you get them hot, because fast Otherwise food, it's, they're it's soggy touch and, and go. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if they're hot and fresh, then they're good. Otherwise, eh, and, and no pickles so on the on the fries either. There you go. <laughs> yeah. What about um, curds? Is it curds or whey that they put on French fries uh, up north? Oh, you're talking about? Does it uh, poutine? Yes. Oh, you know, I I was up in. It's it's it is curds. Um, I was up in Vancouver probably about four years ago. This time of year, actually, and um, I had uh, it's yeah, it's what uh, cheese curds, gravy, and yeah. and French fry. And I'm like, I've heard about this for years and years and years. We were at the Vancouver Aquarium, which if you like aquariums, magnificent place. I highly recommend it. But one of the food stands had poutine. 
And I, if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize to I all think Canadians. You're saying it's right, I think I am. Uh, but uh, I tried it, and I have to say, I don't know if I don't know if what you can get at the aquarium is representative of, you know, gourmet poutine, if you will. But I kind of liked it. It worked. I didn't think it would. I kind of figured I'd be uh, handing it off to my wife after three or four fries. But I was really enjoying it, and we wound up splitting the the thing quite evenly, and uh, I was, yeah, I was enjoyable. So was it like having cottage cheese on your fries? No. No, not at all. It was more melty than that. It was kind of like, um, to me, it was kind of like gravy and like like mozzarella cheese, maybe-ish. Kind of squeaky. Kind of squeaky, yeah. Huh. I, I, I would have told you I was the last person I would have thought that would have enjoyed it, and I did. Yeah, I'm never going to try it, so I'll never know. But, uh, you know, enough people like it that it must be appealing, and uh, I'll just take take it at that. Well, I think you and I have done our bit for National Burger Month. So through the remainder of uh, the month of May, you can enjoy a hamburger and celebrate this auspicious occasion. And while you're doing so, make sure you have a pickle somewhere nearby, whether that's between the bun and the burger or on the side. And if you know some really good garlicky pickles, feel free to just... just to send us a note here at the station and let us know. And uh, I, I think we should do some taste testing in the future. Well, I'd, I'd be into I'll, that. I'll have to contact our guest and see, uh, yeah, see what they can send us. Get some McClure pickles in here because I don't think I've ever had them. I don't believe I have either. I certainly have seen them on the shelves, but I don't believe I have either. Yeah, well, we'll test it out. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to the final segment, sadly, of the Georgine Rice Show on this fun Friday afternoon. Taking a quick look at um, next week, on Monday, we're going to talk with Dudley Rutherford, author of Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith. And uh, that's uh, coming up on Monday. On Tuesday, I'm especially looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro, we're going to talk about what happened the day before, which would be Monday, and that is when the U.S. Embassy moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, as President uh, Trump promised. And that ceremony is taking place on Monday. We're going to talk not only about the geopolitical implications of that decision, we're also going to talk about the biblical implications of the decision and the act that's uh, taking place at that interview on Tuesday will have taken place Uh, earlier in the week. So I'm looking forward to talking with Pastor Rich Jones, who has made the study, certainly of Scripture as a pastor, but the study of Israel and the geopolitical events uh, that inform our thinking on the the last day. So we're looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Rich on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Welby O'Brien, practical help and personal hope for those who grieve. And sadly, grief is a part of life, and it comes without... um, Uh, Without our expecting it, it hits hard and lingers longer than we care for it, too. We're going to talk about some practical helps and personal hope for those who are in the midst of and who will at some point in the future, which pretty much includes all of us, uh, be confronted by grief. On Thursday, we'll talk with Shanti Feldhahn. She's uh, a prolific author, and her latest is Find Rest, a woman's devotional for lasting peace in a busy life. It's a beautiful uh, devotional. I, I have a copy and just very nicely done. So if you're looking for something to hold in your hands that's lovely on the outside, but also has some great biblical truths on the inside about peace and a busy life, uh, you'll want to check this out. Again, Shanti Feldhahn will be my guest on Thursday. Uh, we'll talk about her book. And then on Friday, 
we're anticipating just lightening up and taking a look at the lighter side of the news. Well, as we discussed earlier in the program, Sunday is Mother's Day, and it's the one day of the year when we are all compelled to acknowledge gratitude for our mothers. Now, I hope that's just one excuse out of many um, times during the course of a year that uh, we all acknowledge, for those of us who still have mothers who are living, that we acknowledge the uh, tremendous sacrifices they have made on our behalf and celebrate them as we ought on a regular basis. But um, Mother's Day coming up this Sunday is a, a great excuse for us to do so as a culture and collectively. But I ran across, for those of you who are just starting out and maybe anticipating becoming mothers and not to a distant future, that millennials are coming up with new ways to name their sons and daughters. I mean, after all, there are so many names out there and so many of them are just ho-hum and people are looking for something rather unique. Well, if you're not sold on the idea of naming your child after a 90s pop culture icon or giving them a gender neutral moniker, a couple of trends that have become quite popular, two of the most popular baby name trends of the year so far, then let's introduce you to the latest and definitely the strangest potential source of baby name inspiration for the year 2018. So if you're expecting in 2018, listen up. According to a parenting website, Baby Center, moms and dad, dads to be, of course, uh, shouldn't be above scouring the IKEA catalog. Oh, no, you heard me right. IKEA's catalog. Naming your baby after Ikea furniture might seem ridiculous at first glance, but don't dismiss the idea, says writer Lucy B.C., urging uh, in a recent blog post for parents to look outside the box and into the pages of a furniture catalog. Ikea is known for the charming Scandinavian names it gives its products, and many work surprisingly well as baby names, she goes on to say. Some are even gender neutral, she says, and could work equally well for a baby girl or boy. So you can kill two baby name trends with one stone. How handy. I'm hoping people aren't careless with naming their sons and daughters. These are names they, were, they will carry with them through the entirety of their lives, which you hope are, are long and prosperous. Uh, so I hope people aren't careless and trendy, but actually give some thought to not only what they might like at the moment, what's, uh, what's popular at the time, but what their child will carry throughout their lives. Here are some of the names, the most eligible IKEA-inspired baby names, according to Baby Center. Malm. That's M-A-L-M, Malm. Okay. What about Tarva? Rhymes with Larva. But the name is Tarva. Stefan. Okay, that sounds pretty normal. Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N. What about Ivar? Now, that's not too out there. Tobias, again, an actual name. Uh, Stig, I can guarantee you, you name your son or daughter Stig, there will be a lawsuit at some point when he reaches the age or she reaches the age of accountability. Stig, now don't you wish you had named your daughter Verity Stig instead? Well, I mean, yeah, it's also, if I remember right, Stig is the name of the uh, anonymous race car driver on Top Gear. So, I mean, you know, uh, clearly there are people out there going, I'd do it. Yeah. Uh, Franklin, that's not an unusual name. Ingo, uh, Fred. Uh, what about Somar, Norna, Chilla, Melinda? I'm not sure if this is Eli or Ellie, E-L-L-Y. Henrika, Johanna, Mata, and Meidel. Not to be mistaken with the drug women sometimes take, Meidel. This would be Meidel with an A. 
Well, if none of these appeal, you could even name your uh, sprog after a piece of uh, baby paraphernalia from the store. Opting for a baby latsum, that's a baby bath. Uh, the uh, lilla, which is the potty, or the gonat, which is a cot. And that would uh, save both time and energy and really uh, set him or her apart from the crowd. I'm not sure setting him or her apart too far from the crowd is a good idea. Once they reach kindergarten, first grade, third grade, when kids are quite outspoken about what they think. Well, if the idea doesn't uh, take your fancy, why not go full on millennial and look towards the brand new, um, let's see, Amadel Bar. It's a wellness collection. Amadel Bar. Huh? What do you think, James? Amadel Bar? Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm good. How about baby... Hjartelig. Right. I'm, I'm literally, as you're reading this, I'm looking through the IKEA catalog online. And <laughs> Are you finding some good uh, ideas? Well, you know, I, I'll say from the realistic side of things, my wife has a bookcase from uh, uh, IKEA. Its name is Billy. It's a sign. It's Billy. It's a and, sign. And that's normal. I, I, yeah. could, I could name a child Billy, but uh, Googus? How about Amal- Bleka? Amadelbar. Uh, uh, Maybe not so much. Lert? Lert. Lert sounds like a... Um, the butler on Adam's family or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, while there's no data to suggest how many, if any, new parents would consider naming the apple of their eye after a swivel chair. By the way, apple is the name of one celebrity's child, um, who's probably not so much a child anymore. Or a set of kitchen utensils, which, by the way, is direct, D-I-R-E-K-T. Name your child direct. Uh, If the popularity of other Scandinavian names and all things Scandinavian, for that matter, is uh, anything to go by, there's a good chance it's something people might actually do. And who are we to judge? After all, their peers in third, fourth and fifth grade will do that for us. Unless you train them, uh, train them to do otherwise. Exactly. Just make sure you make friends with Ingerred. Yeah, let's make sure that happens. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, on Monday, we're going to talk with Dudley Rutherford. The book is titled Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith. And that's uh, coming up on Monday. And on Tuesday, don't miss my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones. We're going to be talking about uh, the United States uh, Embassy that will, on that uh, date, be in Jerusalem. I want to thank James Blind for engineering and producing today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night and weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.